Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Corey Emanuel, and you are now listening to Tough Talks. Good evening. My name is Kisha Edwards Gansey, and I'm the co founder of World Explorers Group. And I'm excited to join you for this evening's Tough Talk Tuesday with Dr. Corey Emanuel. We are talking about the birds and the bees, how to talk to your children about sex. And I'm very excited for this conversation um, with Dr. Corey because it is something that, you know, I as a parent have struggled through this. This is a real topic that is difficult to talk about with your children. It's something that I can honestly say I don't believe my parents got quite right. And, you know, that's okay because they needed this resource. They needed this resource back in the 80s. And um, we're excited to have this conversation with you. Dr. Corey is an expert and he is guiding us through all of these conversations and we couldn't be happier for this partnership. So I'm going to, I want us to be able to get right into this because it's so important and we want to be able to have this resource for families. So Dr. Corey, if you want to go ahead and get started, um, we're ready. We're ready to dig right in. Really excited to just have this opportunity. You know, I have now worked for about a decade in youth development leadership. And of course, I'm working in the field of media psychology. It's really put me at a really unique position to have these sorts of conversations because I've been in the trenches having these conversations for many, many years, but also to be able to look through them now through a childhood psychology lens is really important so that these conversations are really grounded into some efficacy, right? And we're just gonna jump right in because this is such a rich and robust conversation to have. First things first, what do we know about sex education and parenting, right? What do some of the studies say? So majority of students will receive some level of sexual education at least once between seventh and 12th grade. Um, now the thing about it, the caveat is that the content varies. And we also know that not every school prioritizes sex education. So it can be sort of hit or miss. We do know that. As Ms. Keisha said at the top, you know, we're not all necessarily having these conversations at home, but our kids are curious, they have questions. So they may be turning to outside resources for information around sex. And we're gonna get into that. Parents face challenges in being prepared to discuss sex, right? And I think that's one of the beautiful things about these tough talks is we really hold a safe space for parents and guardians. We're not here to judge anyone. We're here to try to make life better for us, for our kids, their, their experience to improve their sexual attitudes and behaviors. So don't, don't be, beat yourself up if you're coming to the table, maybe not even having had the conversation. This is the starting point, right? And also over 80% of parents are talking with their children ages 10 to 18 about issues related to sex. However, far fewer discuss more difficult sexual topics such as birth control, for example. And that's just one of the areas that we're gonna get into. So this is sort of big picture where we are. Um, you may have found yourself in one of these sort of bullet points here and that's okay. We're just using this as a jumping off point, right? I think that it's really important 
we've sort of thrown the, the two words sex education around for decades now. It became really popular around the 70s is when it became sort of integrated, if you will, into um, some school curriculums. But I think as we now look at the year 2021, um, and we look at so much that's happened around us. We, we are, we're dealing with sexual trauma, sexual abuse, sexual harassment. Um, and so we need to sort of expand our working definition of what sex education is. So we're gonna use this definition in that sexual education um, is defined as teaching about human sexuality, intimate relationships, anatomy, reproduction, STDs, um, sexual activity, orientation, gender identity, abstinence, contraception, and reproductive rights and responsibilities. So again, if you're like me, a kid born in the 80s, so many of these terms that fall in this definition, I know I didn't hear of until I was good in college, right? These were not conversations I was having growing up, but I do think it, it helps us to sort of see what should we be discussing when we think about sex education. You know, let's get into sort of my field of, of interest and expertise right out the gate. And that is how does technology and mass media influence sexual attitudes, sexual behavior, right? So let's sort of look at first how our kids might be being introduced to sex topics, right? So first things first, uh, in 2018, about 94% of adolescents, and we're talking about those who were like three to 18 years old, um, have home internet access, right? We know that if you have a kid or you've had a kid in the last few years, they're coming out the womb, grabbing that smartphone, grabbing that iPad, right? And we know it's not really realistic to think that we're gonna be right there with them every single second to monitor what they might be witnessing on the internet. So that's just something to keep in mind, how accessible is the sexual content that they might be, be coming across. Another thing that's important, you know, we usually, particularly when we think through a psychological lens, we also consider socioeconomic factors that may contribute to frequency around technology access, you know, access to uh, adult entertainment, things of that nature. But what we found is there really is no difference um, when it comes to socioeconomic background as to who might have access to the internet and different devices. In fact, 61% of lower income children have a tablet at home now. Um, and 40% have their own tablet. And even on the other end of the spectrum, we know that 85% of higher income children have a tablet in the home and 40% have their own tablet. So we know that everybody for the most part has some access point to the internet now, right? Another important statistic is that 56% of eight to 12 year olds and 69% of 13 to 18 year olds watch online videos every day, right? So they're really inundated with video online content, right? And then also when we think about, okay, they're, they're going online, they're watching videos every day, how much time are they spending? So we know eight to 12 year olds spend about almost five hours on, on screens each day. And then teens spend even more time than that. With the internet comes, of course, you guessed it, 
access to online pornography, right? So this is one of the big ones uh, that we've even seen during the pandemic with adults. We've seen an uptick uh, because people are feeling lonely. Um, they're looking for you know, access to an intimacy point, if you will. And so one survey um, that came out a few years ago found that while 75% of parents interviewed believed that their children had not seen online porn, 53% of kids had actually come across online pornography in some way, shape or form, right? So we kind of have to take off that whole notion that, oh no, my kid isn't looking at porn because again, because of the amount of time they, they're online and not necessarily with you and being you know, monitored or observed, they might be encountering uh, pornography for sure. The reason I sort of pause on online pornography and just sort of ask folks how they had to deal with this is that it actually creates some really teachable moments, I believe. So for example, we know when we're looking at porn that there's a lot of misconceptions around what that means, what that represents, right? Particularly as we look at our own selves, our own sense of self-worth, body image, things of that nature. So if you do encounter that your child may be looking at online porn, what we, do, what we absolutely want to not do is lecture, right? We, many of us probably had that experience with our parents growing up and we wanna sort of move away from that and actually create a dialogue. We wanna create a safe space so that instead of talking down or talking at our kids around sex, we're having or we're building uh, an online or an ongoing conversation about whatever their experiences might be, whether it's online or things that they're experiencing with their peer groups, right? So when the porn may present itself, we want to use that as a means to talk about intimacy because porn doesn't necessarily promote what real intimacy looks like, right? Also, oftentimes in porn, there's a lack of contraception, right? So we want to make sure that we are having clear communication about the dangers and the consequences of that. But then also, as I shared, you know, when we think about what we're seeing and we're comparing, say, our body image to those that we're seeing in porn, we have to paint a realistic picture uh, and, and, and just promote a sense of self-worth and not comparing ourselves to these actors or these people who very well may have had enhancements to their body to be able to even be in that role. So again, just entry points, teachable moments when porn may present itself. So now let's get into the talk, or as I like to say, what should be a series of talks, because there really isn't just one big talk to cover. We think back to that definition I shared earlier, there's no way one talk would sort of sum all of that up. So what really works? Right. So we do know that conversations with adolescents about sexuality education is correlated with a delay in sexual debut and increased use of contraception and condoms. So in other words, by you taking that initiative, creating that safe space to have conversations with your kids about sex, 
you actually sort of lay the foundation for them to perhaps not be as curious to go out there and just sort of take matters into their own hand. They're already having conversations, having that sort of curiosity be massaged by you to be able to ask questions to, you know, well, what does the, the, the initials STD mean? You've already started to lay that foundation, right? So with that though, there are multiple effective components in parenting adolescents when it comes to sexual health communication, right? So let's talk about what those five components are. The first one is the extent of communication. And this goes back to my original point. There is no singular talk, right? We want to, as early as you feel comfortable, as early as you want to begin having these conversations, which if you saw my last talk, really in the infancy ages, and yes, there's research to back this, that children start having curiosity about their own body parts, even in infancy, right, as toddlers. And so the extent of communication is huge. You want to be having these conversations frequently, as well as they be really in-depth conversations, right? All right, number two, informational style. I mentioned this earlier. What we don't want to do is lecture about sex. Even if you think back through your own experience, if you had that experience, it was usually someone talking at you. Even when we think about the sex ed experience at school, it wasn't a dialogue. And at that particular age, you probably didn't feel comfortable asking that many questions, right? We can change that with the communication style that we create at home between parent and, and child, right? Third, the content of data that is discussed. So we wanna sort of move away from this whole watered down, and I will even say abstinence talk, um, because again, research has found that, you know, even uh, youth who sort of take the pledge that they're not gonna have sex, many of those youth end up having sex regardless of taking that pledge. So really we found that you want to be rooting these conversations and the things that are happening, whether it's something you guys are watching together, as I shared before, they're coming across porn. You wanna ground these conversations in data that is relevant to where they are. When and how the communication occurs, right? We're not suggesting that you force a conversation around sex, but instead build it around their real life experiences. And even if you're finding that your kids aren't necessarily comfortable talking about themselves, there's usually something brewing with their peer group, folks at school, that you can use what that experience might be, what how they might be perceiving that experience to start the conversation. And then the fifth one is the overall environment where the conversation takes place. Um, I am a huge advocate of, you know, there's really no place we can't have conversations that are around our mental health, our state of well-being, uh, you know, positive sexual attitudes. We want to be able to have that, you know, if we're riding the car to school, you know, we come home in the evenings, maybe we're at the park. We want to create a space where when those questions come up, we we're able to talk about them right then and there, right? So this is what we, we find through, again, research, what really works, the extent of communication. So frequency, the depth, the style in which you sort of address the conversation, 
the content around like, is this really rooted in things that are happening in your actual environments? Um, when and how the communication occurs, again, not forced, but very organic. And then finally, creating safe spaces really wherever you are to have these conversations as the topic of sex comes up. Really important point here is that it takes a village to carry that weight of just feeling like we have to be the hero and we have to save the day. And that's just not realistic, right? That's, that's the beautiful thing about parents and aunts and uncles and even mentors and, and, and really platforms like World Explorers is that we have multiple, we can take a holistic approach to addressing sex education. But one uh, sort of role that is often underestimated when we talk about the village is that of the pediatrician. Um, you know, we, 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 we're used to sort of going to the pediatrician when it comes to just our general health, but a pediatrician is also very useful when it comes to talking about sexual health, right? So whether you start to have those conversations with you, your child, and the pediatrician, or you're creating a safe space, you've, you've communicated to your child, you know what, if you have questions when we go to the doctor, and you feel embarrassed about maybe me being there hearing that, I want you to ask the pediatrician those questions that are, that are coming up for you, right? So we do know that with parenting, there are a number of factors that might affect you not feeling really comfortable talking about sex, talking about body parts, things like that, your own past, your own sort of conditioning around talking about sex. So that is another reason why we want to make sure we're in, involving you know, medical professionals, experts that talk about sex and sexual health and, and that type of thing. And really a pediatrician can provide an opportunity for personalized information to your child, confidential screening, um, addressing risks that could be coming up, hormones, all of those things. Somebody asks, do you have a suggestion on how to handle a talk around masturbation without making children feel bad? That's a really good question. So maybe perhaps what prompted this is I was saying earlier that research has found that oftentimes toddlers will, will actually masturbate, right? They are coming to experience their body in a way like this is just fascinating to them, right? All of these body parts. And so as a general rule of thumb, you want to start having those conversations earlier rather than later. And again, going back to this notion of it not being a singular talk, it can be sort of uncomfortable for you and your child, um, perhaps waiting into those latter years when we can start making those connections around body parts. Um, I would say just as a suggestion into that conversation, use your own personal experience. Um, you know, I've often shared in conversations, um, particularly with teens, you know, that I was a teen when I started to do self-exploration with my own body. And I talk about how the way that came about was hearing other, you know, boys, young men in the locker room, sports teams talk about it. And so it created this curiosity for me. And so I think anytime you can root um, conversations in your own personal experiences, 
it, it creates a safe space for your kids to be like, oh, well, if you went through that or if you've experienced that, it's really not, uh, I used to often hear my, my parents say like, yeah, it's a different time, it's a different year, but we are really having universal experiences here. So that's my piece of advice, uh, just to sort of root any kind of uncomfortable conversations in your own personal experiences or ask questions about, you know, what's happening? What are you hearing as you're talking with your peers? What are some of the experiences they're having? And maybe your child will sort of maybe uh, divert to what your what their friends are, are feeling or experiencing, and then you can bring it back home to, to where they are and what they might need at that time. One of the big questions I often get is like, when is it appropriate to talk to your kids about certain sexual topics, right? And if you've come and been part of our Tough Talks before, I always try to bring in this visual uh, to really help you, you know, ground yourself in, okay, when can I talk to my kids about certain things? So this, again, is just sort of rooted in what a lot of the research says is developmentally appropriate, right? So around two to five years old is where you're going to start talking about boundaries, right? And we already know we're, we're dealing a lot with consent right now and, and you know, sexual harassment and, and things like that, sexual abuse. So the earlier we can ground our, our kids in, you know, setting boundaries, uh, conversations about, you know, saying yes or no, or I'm, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with that, the better. So two to five years old is where we, we start to talk about boundaries and not touching, you know, inappropriately or, you know, without someone saying it's okay to hug, things like that. Again, going back to the masturbation piece, children as young as, you know, one, two years old start to have curiosity about their body parts. So we want to have conversations about that. And also I should say, try to stray away from the little cutesy names uh, that perhaps we grew up on. Um, we've actually found that that's not really an effective method as well. We want to ground kids in language that is true to life, right? As we advance a little bit into six to eight years old, then we start to get into, you know, some of the digital spaces, right? Safety, around being online. And we know that we do have uh, opportunities to filter and do things like that. But, you know, I'll obviously monitor uh, setting time windows where we're off devices, right? Um, and then also they're changing bodies. So, you know, we, we start, a lot of kids nowadays are hitting puberty early. They're starting to develop early. So just having conversations around those changes in their bodies. 9 to 12, this is where we get into where it's okay to start talking about sexism and sexualization and pulling examples from things that are happening in the media. And there is just a wealth of those, right? I can think back over the past year or so with things with Harvey Weinstein. Um, I can't think of the, the gentleman's man name right now, but uh, what happened with um, the Netflix show uh, House of Cards, uh, Bill Cosby, pulling examples. And again, we're not trying to uh, attack anyone or whatever. We're just really rooting conversations and things that are happening around us, right? And then finally, as teens, we want to have what we call real talk, right? About safe sex, 
condoms and birth control. Now, if I have parents on the call tonight who have teens and they're, they're, you know, one end of the spectrum, maybe you've not had any sex talks before to now, now that they're teens, you're just sort of jumping into the water. Uh, you you want to just be real. I mean, there's really no other way to paint it because we know through the media influence, through peer pressure, this is where they're really in the trenches of a lot of first time sexual experiences. So you want to help them sort of be prepared for what those instances are going to entail, right? But what we really want, and I'm so grateful for this platform to have this conversation is, I'm gonna keep saying it over and over again, we want this to be frequent conversations, in-depth conversations over the adolescent lifespan, right? So that as we get to these various stages, it's not as daunting of a task, right? Because we've already set the stage for this is how this family has, has tough talks, right? Some of the, you know, hardcore sex education topics, right, um, are, you know, talking about STDs, birth control I mentioned before, sexual abuse, harassment, consent, also sexual preference, gender identity. And so, again, not putting one higher than the other, um, you're probably going to have to encounter all of these, sometimes all at the same time, or, you know, it may vary on any given day. But my rule of thumb is that, again, none of this should be one big talk. Um, and that it also may require individual research on your part. So I always encourage parents to say, you know, if, if you get presented with a question and you're just not prepared, instead of just, you know, saying something just to have something to say, tell your kid, you know what, you know, I want to research that a little bit more. You know, um, I often say lead with definitions. You know, if, if you're talking about STDs, for example, you know, you can ask your child, you know, do you know what STD stands for? And always start with a working definition. And from there, will spark additional questions, right? But no one, there's no expectation for any one parent to be an expert in any of these topics, right? So be gentle on yourself. Know that you can take time to, to tell your child, you know what, let's, if you don't mind, let me table that, do a little bit of research and come back to you and we can talk more. Um, and we'll, we'll get more into, uh, before we wrap up today, about sort of the do's and don'ts around these things. Uh, but these are just sort of things to, to have on your radar that sooner rather than later, you're probably gonna be presented with an opportunity to talk about these things. Right, so big takeaway for now is just that sex education includes more than just sex health curriculum you know, and we can't really rely on our schools to do that sort of robust job, right? So instead, sex education represents a range of sexual lessons taught over time to your children, okay? That is, that's the big takeaway for that. All right, so let's get into some of the do's and don'ts, right? So just as a general rule of thumb, what you want to avoid is saying things like, you're too young to know anything about that, right? If it's being presented to you, 
there's an opportunity. Now, you as the parent, you are the expert in terms of deciding how far you want to go into that conversation, but general refusal is just not really a good rule of thumb because it, it begins to create uh, a feeling or a sense that they can't come and talk to you about things or things that are hard conversations we don't have in this house, right? And I've heard actually other psychologists speak about that from their own experience growing up, how they just felt so limited. They felt so stifled about what they could talk about in their households because of this whole general refusal, um, you know, diverting to a safer topic, diluting or dismissing the importance of a topic when it comes up, okay? Now, getting into the do's, right? So there's, there's sort of multiple ones here. Uh, this goes back to what I was just talking about before. When you're being presented with things like STDs, uh, you know, gender identity, things like that, you may not know what to say right out of, the, out of the gate. And that's okay. What you can do oftentimes is after you've paused, done your research, run what you want to say by a family, a friend, your spouse, right? And say, you know, this is how I'm thinking about approaching this. What do you think? Great, great starting point there. Another big one, um, and this, this goes into a lot of the mental health work I'm doing right now, is really to be aware of your own biases that could be rooted in your own trauma, your own sexual abuse that perhaps you've never even talked about. And so I, I want to pause there for a moment to say, if some of the discomfort you may have around talking about sex with your kids, some of that could be rooted in a real life sexual trauma experience that you've never talked to anyone about before. And so if that is the case, I do encourage having that conversation, perhaps with the therapist, therapist or a counselor or someone, so that you begin to do the individual work on yourself before you open yourself up to having a bigger, broader conversation with your kids, right? So just being aware of like, why do I have such discomfort? Um, why does this sort of create um, angst or anxiety, um, this particular topic? And then also uh, a huge one here is asking your child, do they have questions? You know, as you sit down to the dinner table or you guys are sitting and you know watching a movie or something comes up, you know, across the sort of all the domains we've talked about today, ask them, do they have questions? And I think if you've, if you've already been sort of creating a space that, you know, when you have a, have a question about anything, come to me, let's talk about it. Then we can integrate sexual conversations in, into the equation as well. With all that being said, I say that when children learn to talk about sex and sexuality constructively, they develop healthy sexual attitudes and beliefs, right? And so much too, I see in, my, in the work that I do with adults when it comes to connecting the dots between childhood and adulthood is that when we can create intimacy and vulnerability at home around these sorts of conversations, it changes, it completely changes the game for how we show up in our adult relationships when it comes to intimacy and vulnerability. I'm hearing that when I try to talk to my, my tween about sex, they shy away and refuse to talk. How can I open a dialogue? Um, you know, with that, it's, it's, it's normal. I think back to my own personal experience, you know, perhaps my parents would have talked to me more if I felt more comfortable, if I weren't so shy 
around some of the things I was thinking. Um, I often encourage in a previous um, talk that we did, um, I think literature is a great way um, to sort of introduce these conversations. If your child doesn't want to have the conversation out of the gate with you, but you've been able to sense or you've been able to sort of pick up on, this is sort of where they, they are right now. AKA their body's changing, their body's developing. Maybe they're starting to get attention or they're witnessing other kids at school get, get attention because of the way their body's developing. We actually have a list that we, we use with World Explorer uh, book list that we can share with you getting into topics around sexuality. So I think literature to answer your question is a really great starting point. And then using what they might read, creating almost like a book club experience uh, for the family to talk about those topics. But it's very normal for children to be shy. I mean, there's sort of that separation of like, what, what would my parents know about this? We're in a completely different day and age. Or if I talk about it, is this gonna, um, my parents gonna perceive that I'm, I'm already sexually active? There's just so many nuances to why they sometimes shy away, right? But then we have to create that opportunity again, not forcing it, but, as you're engaging with media, as you come across something that you think is interesting or that would be a good read that we perhaps recommended, put that in front of your in front of your kids, have them read that and then do follow-ups after they've had some time with that. I've got people saying, I believe that sex should wait till marriage. Do I still need to talk about sex with them? Absolutely. So again, going back into research, right? This isn't stuff that Dr. Corey's making up. Uh, but we know that typically when abstinence is quote unquote preached or, you know, young folks uh, take the abstinence pledge, they have come back and found in studies that nine times out of 10, the kids don't sort of adhere to that. So it's not to say that you don't promote uh, a sense of, you know, being married and what real intimacy looks like and, and the sacredness of that, right? Absolutely be able to have conversations around that and, and share that as an alternative, right? But also be very cognizant of the fact that while you feel that way and maybe have practiced that as part of your lifestyle, your child may take a different approach. And so you want them to be armed and prepared in instances where they may be presented with sex that now that they're in that situation that they know about birth control, that they know about condoms. So it really is presenting both sides of, of the story when it comes to that. I recently did a post about the psychology of consent. I think we are, I don't think, I know we're in an era now where we can't be talking about sex and not talking about the importance of consent. And again, this goes back earlier to starting those conversations early around boundaries, right? Uh, recently in the news, the cartoon character Pepe Le Pew that I'm sure uh, if you're on this call, you are familiar with, you saw growing up at some point or another. And, you know, for most of us, it was very sort of innocent at the time that there was this, this skunk uh, that was infatuated with another skunk, uh, Penelope, uh, and he chased her around and, uh, you know, he basically would often force himself on her, right? And sometimes you can see where 
it was cutesy and she'd give in. And then sometimes it was very disturbing, the look on her face, right? So with that being said, uh, there was an argument that that could very well glamorize rape culture. And so in sort of planting those seeds in the minds of kids who may watch it, that it's okay to force yourself on someone or, you know, whether somebody welcomes your advances or not, if you like them, it's okay to pursue them. And so with that being said, um, where Pepe Le Pew was about to, I think, be in a Space Jam sequel movie, they decided to pull the plug on that, right, to, again, sort of uh, remove that perpetuation that this is okay, right? So one of the things that psychology uh, teaches us is that te television's influence on our kids, um, how much you know time they spend watching on television, that's huge. And we talked about that earlier with the access to the devices and the videos and how much time they're spending. In, the, in that sort of prolonged viewing that they do, the world shown, shown in, through those videos and on television, that becomes their real world, right? And we can't really control how they perceive Pepe Le Pew, right? We would love to be able to do that, but we just don't, right? And so we know that we've moved into this world now of Me Too where uh, there needs to be a spotlight on people who have become victims, right? Or perhaps even survived being pursued and being harassed and being abused. And so we know as a, as a takeaway that our adolescents really are susceptible to media's influence. And when we, that's why we have to monitor how much time they spend and what they watch, right? Because we don't get to control the way they perceive how they form impressions about what they're watching. And so if you've allowed your kids to watch Pepe Le Pew, Again, this is not a attack anyone. There's nothing wrong with that, right? We, there's, this is just one example. Of, there's been many other cartoon examples that have come up recently that have really displayed some toxic attitudes and behaviors over the years. Where we want to move to now is how do we reverse perhaps some of the things that they have seen. And so just wanted to share with you some things when it comes specifically to consent. How do we begin fostering that type of respect for other people in our homes. And when we think about kids ages one to five, asking permission before touching and embracing, uh, developing empathy for someone that is hurt instead of dismissing um, their feelings, standing up for those who, who might be in trouble. We wanna be honoring when someone says no, when someone says stop. And these again are things that we can do just in our family dynamic. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to always be with another peer. We can start that at home, fostering that, that, that honoring one another. Reading facial expressions and body language, like pointing out, you know, son, can't you see like that makes her uncomfortable or he doesn't like that, right? We create those types of opportunities, honoring our gut feelings, our instincts around things. Then we move into, you know, our older age demographics and whatnot. Uh, recognizing changes in their body, again, is a great starting point. Um, that building that, building out that, that curiosity that they have. Safe words during play. I think this is a really big one, particularly with our boys. You know, our boys are just sort of naturally rough with one another, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they can't hurt one another when they're playing. So using safe words and then also, you know, brothers and sisters, um, boys and girls, um, creating that practice as well. Stopping play to check in with one another, right? 
um, sort of taking off the blinders, if you will, and, and feeling like we can just do whatever we want to do. We want to say, all right, let's everybody take a, take a breath. Is everybody doing okay? How is everybody feeling? That type of thing. Um, observing again how others' behaviors affect one another right? And this, this could just be name calling. It doesn't always have to be something physical, but just being cognizant of how the things we say and do affect other people. And as I've said over and over again, uh, just talking about consent ongoing. This isn't going to be a one-time thing. We want to start in those early years and continue to build that even as they go into their teen years. We're not really expecting you to leave today feeling like, okay, I'm an expert in sex education now. This is a jumping off point, right? Maybe sort of just some things that you hadn't thought of before when it comes to when you should be having certain conversations, what topics should I be covering? Thank you so much, Dr. Corey. That was excellent. A wealth of information. It's a lot. Uh, I, I feel like I'm even going to have to go back and read, uh, you know, go back through this video myself. Um, it was incredibly helpful. I definitely, um, well, you we do have one other question in the chat, but I also want to speak to you um, to this. You mentioned that it, it takes a village and that's something that we strongly believe as well. What do we do to get the rest of our village on board? You know, like we're having these conversations about how we as parents can handle these tough talks and these conversations with our children, aunts, uncles, cousins, grandparents, other people who may have a different approach. Like what do we do to kind of mediate that process with, with these extended village members to make sure right. that we're all on the same page? Right. My, my go-to answer is going to always be transparency. You know, I, what has helped in terms of me holding space for friends who have kids and, and, and just family members is them letting me know what's going on. You know, you, you can't really show up and hold space and, and contribute to the conversation if you don't know that this is what's happening, right? And so every time I've seen that sort of acted out where someone has said, you know what, my, my child, I think they're, they're starting to explore a little bit. You know, I'm starting to see some evidence that this is happening. And you're just like, I don't have all the answers because, you know, a lot of times there's like gender stuff wrapped up in there. There's racial identity stuff wrapped up in there. Okay. And no one knows every angle of that conversation. But you, the, the starting point is transparency to let, let your friends, family members know, this is what I'm observing. This is what I'm witnessing. Can you help me? have these conversations. Okay. Yeah. For sure. For sure. And then when we get it wrong, when we as parents get it wrong, when we realize my child is 16, they have zero idea what's going on. Or, you know, or my child is one and I'm already talking about STDs because I'm hyper aware and super conscious that this needs to happen like right now. They need to know everything. How do we manage that as parents? Like, you know, like can you talk a little bit about like how we forgive ourselves, how we, you know, what that looks like. Or, yeah, I think, you know, grace, giving yourself grace is going to be huge with this. And I think, as we said at the top of the call, really looking back at your own childhood experience around sex um, and just being really honest about what your experience was, what you wish you would have done different. That's another thing that the research has shown is that a lot of uh, you know, college students that were surveyed uh, were asked, you know, if you could have did it over, 
you know, would you have had sex as early as you did? And a lot of them said, no, they wish they had waited. And so I think when we can get honest about our own experiences, then we can be honest with our kids around their, what they're experiencing. And I think going back too, to the pediatrician, I think pediatricians are really underutilized when it comes to our village, because again, they are, they are experts in sexual health. So where you may have you know, misspoken or said something before, you can invite them into that conversation. And, and again, being honest, being transparent, that says, you know, son, daughter, what have you, you know, I, I misspoke. I, I told you some things that weren't really accurate. And so now with the pediatrician here or, or a counselor, perhaps whoever you might be using as part of your village, you can have that conversation. Okay, thank you. And um, we had a question in the chat about um, uh, a, a, someone said that they had a little kindergartner who, um, you know, may be getting fresh with the girls and how to handle, you know, that, you know, this is a five-year-old, how to handle situations like that where, you know, the crime can seem a lot larger than they are at developmentally. Right. And I think there's, there's a blessing in that you have a kindergarten kindergartner who's going through this experience, right? And that you have an opportunity with your younger kids to lay the foundation, right? To, to correct that type of behavior as you see it coming up. And I think, as I shared earlier, we have a list of, of books and resources that tackle this very thing that we can share out with you and make sure that you get. But uh, talking to kids around around body parts, um, the consent conversation of yes or no, boundaries, you have you're going to have to make that a daily practice in your home, right? Because what they're what they're doing when they get to school, we have the opportunity to sort of combat that by putting those things into practice at home. You know, yes or no boundaries you know, and that, that might mean sometimes taking the iPad away, taking the smartphone away, but you've got to set up a system of this is not okay. And there's repercussions for when you do things and you overstep your boundaries. And so I think a five-year-old is a great opportunity to, to be observing and witnessing this now versus when they're older. And I think sort of piggybacking on what the other person asked too is um, sexual identity. Again, so many great uh, books, resources out there um, about that conversation too. I think the literature, we can't underestimate literature. So much of the, the talks that, that we do here are rooted in people who have gone through your experiences and now they're reporting back how they've worked through it and, and what methods, what approaches, what best practices have been working. So I think any topic that we've talked about today or that you might be dealing with, you'd be so surprised how many other parents have already had to deal with that and face that. And just like literally a simple Google search will sort of take you down this path of, oh, I never thought about having this particular conversation around my son wants to wear dresses and I don't know, like, is that okay? Or do I need to like put a nail in the coffin on that, right? So start, I say start with the literature, start with just probing what are other parents doing in that particular scenario. Okay, and one final question, and I and I want to, you know, just put this out there. What are the ramifications? Say we decide we're never going to talk to our children about sex, we're never going to have appropriate sex education. 
what are the ramifications in the adult life for ignoring topics like this? That is an excellent question. You are going to look at, so there's a couple of ways that that can show up as an adult. So you could have a sort of over-sexualized experience as an adult um, because you you look at sex as a uh, form of self-soothing um, because that's, that is now representing intimacy, vulnerability that you didn't get in your home. So now you're looking outwardly for that. So that's one way that it can show up. Um, it could set your, your child up or, you know, child becoming adult up for a lot of traumatic experiences too, because they don't, they don't have a sort of a rooted understanding into what section sexuality is. So again, they, they sort of just go down this ex exploration path that isn't rooted in safety, right? It's not rooted in education. It's not rooted in just uh, deep level understanding, right? So I think when we, when we shy away from it, we, we sort of open up the floodgates of negative consequences, right? And again, no one, I don't think there's a single person on this planet that would expect any one parent to have all the answers and so I can't I can't emphasize the village enough that you might need to pull from you know the counselor the school counselor you might need to pull from the pediatrician you might want to talk to your pastor you know like it really does take every person working together to create a community around sex health and, and education 100% seriously that is so important and and that is enough right there to let us all know that this conversation is important you know this is something that we have to like keep talking about like you said this is an ongoing conversation it's not something that we just sit down for the talk this is something that is ingrained in our parenting from birth until you know until they're free from from our reign as as young adults so um, and that's real that's right. Dr. Corey, thank you so much. Um, do you have any final things that you'd like to mention before we Yo, close I out for just, the evening? I would just say, you know, the conversations around sex um, and sex, um, sexual consent and things like that, I'm going to continue pushing messaging around that. I do a lot of work with masculinity too. Um, and I know there's a lot of sort of toxic masculinity, traditional masculinity, patriarchy that gets folded into why little boys do what they do or get the passes to do what they do and then show up as men who are very dominant um, in, in sexual ways that, that you know are negative. So, Follow me on social media. We're going to continue to have these these talks with World Explorer Group, and I just look forward to continue having the conversation with you. Hope you guys learned a lot, and um, and you continue to follow these conversations. We love your families, so we want to be a resource. So we know that it takes a village, and you found one, and we will continue to do everything that we can to partner with you in raising vibrant, successful, curious, and understanding young people. Um, and I, I want to mention. We have on April 10th coming up, we're, we're, we love our planet. April 22nd is Earth, is Earth Day. So we're going to be having a STEAM Saturday dedicated to just our planet Earth, this planet that we all love so dearly. 
you can find out information about that at explorekids.us as well as all of our in-person and virtual programming. Remember, you are your child's most influential role model. As they seek to form their individual identities, you influence their attitudes, behavior, values, the way they coexist with others, as well as how they choose to love and honor who they uniquely are. Yes, we know, it's quite the tall order. But guess what? You don't have to do it alone. We're all figuring it out, one day at a time, together. Until next time, live, laugh, go explore. Thank you.